Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we're joined by one of our favorite guests, Cindy Martin. So, Cindy, welcome. Yay. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Cindy, I, I always, always love visiting with you because you have such depth of knowledge across so many areas of not just horse training, but horse husbandry. And you are so incredibly generous in sharing what you've been learning. And anybody who's been on the Click the Teaches Facebook group or in many of the other Facebook groups where you participate, they know you because you are so generous in the information that you share. And I guess I want to start with, um, I want to start. Can with I the... add something to that, Alex? Sure. I also think that Cindy is a beautiful example of positive re- reinforcement amongst humans. Because I've yes. been reading her comments and um, answers on various Facebook groups, and I'm always so impressed by her, how she not only gives very useful, always very useful information, but she always finds a way to present it very positively, no matter what is yes. written on the other side. Yes. And that's very inspiring to yes. me. You are an absolute gem, Cindy. So you should be turning red by now. Um, <laughs> but, and we won't, we won't accept any, no, 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 that's not really. So my question is, my starting question, uh, before we get into sort of the details of substance, because we were thinking about talking about nutrition and so on. My question is, how did you become so curious? Because there are lots of horse owners. There, For example, there are lots of people who have horses with Cushing's, but there's not every, not every owner who has a horse with Cushing's has such an encyclopedic knowledge and understanding of what they're dealing with that you have really, you have really worked hard to educate yourself. So, where did that come from? Well, and thank you both for the very kind words. I will just accept them graciously. I, I guess it came from, it comes from just wanting to understand and make the best decisions I can for the animals in my care. I mean, I love our animals and, and I want to do the best I can for them and I want to make informed decisions. And I think that comes just from realizing no professional is perfect. No farrier is perfect. No veterinarian is perfect. We can't all read the same articles. There's always going to be something out there on the internet that can be researched. Right. And even before that, uh, you know, before the internet, remember those days? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, veterinarians were very busy. They're, you know, on call and they're going places at all hours and they don't have time to keep up on the latest information and so and I uh, you know I would follow the instructions I would follow the article in Practical Horseman or Equus or what the latest people were saying 
and sometimes it didn't work out well for my animals. And so I would go looking for an understanding of why that was the case. Or I would read things that would say, you know, you need quality hay. What does that mean? I don't know what quality hay means. Yeah, exactly. Right? They would say, you know, this is high quality or whatever. Or somebody would say something is, quote, more digestible. What does that really mean for my horses? And um, at the time when we were hunting, you know, our horses worked really hard. And we had them fairly fit. I mean, they were probably fit enough. They could easily have done a 25-mile endurance ride and possibly even a 50. And I always sort of kept in mind that they needed to be as fit as a horse that would possibly be doing a preliminary level three-day event. And and we should add that these were not lightweight Arabs who were, would be doing that 25-mile endurance race or the 50-mile endurance race. These were big draft crosses. Right. So they were yeah. very fit. Yeah, and, and, you know, originally we had thoroughbreds, but they were still big. I, I yeah. joke that my husband would hear 17 hands and his eyes would swirl like a cartoon character and he would have to go see that horse because it was 17 hands. So we always had, you know, pretty big horses. And yeah, so they, they took a fair bit. You know, I had to educate myself on how to condition them because I had instances where I didn't have a horse fit enough and they suffered. And I felt horrible about it. And so I was determined to understand what I needed to do to prepare that horse for the things that we might ask it to do, both in terms of of its conditioning and its nutrition and hoof care. I had horses that, you know, there there's no clear reason why they ended up quote unquote navicular. And, you know, we did all the right stuff and we had the right farrier and yet. And so I wanted to understand all of that more. And I just would go looking for um, for information so that I could make informed decisions and hopefully minimize the, the fallout for our horses and maximize our ability to to enjoy time together. So, and I think the reason I asked the question was because in part, in the answer lies inspiration. And I think your answer is so perfect that, you know, often it's an individual that takes us on this journey of discovery and what and learning. And that it is because we have a need, you need to keep your horses fit for a very demanding sport. So you become educated because it's not enough to simply Oh, I don't know, go to the local grain store and get whatever and, and hope for the best. You need to know more. Let's take a case in point because Dominique's been looking at taking the shoes off of two of her horses. So she's been learning about boots and so on. Well, you brought home, you adopted a thoroughbred who had very bad feet that you <laughs> brought her home knowing that she had problematic feet so can you and and because of the needs that she's had in terms of having her feet protected and the needing to be to have boots and did you put glue on shoes on her and is that one of the things you've done with grace yes yes so and you've also you've you've been studying from Ida Hammer and learning a lot more about feet 
and I think it's in part, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's in part because Grace's feet were so bad that you um, needed to learn more. Well, I needed to learn more because we moved here and, and there you go. I made um, not great choices about our horses had gone barefoot before we moved to Arkansas and we had two different practitioners that had worked on them and they were doing really well and uh, we were able to trail ride both Reuben and Scout barefoot and we weren't actively hunting at that time. Porter was barefoot, Burley was retired and he was barefoot and so the four of them moved out here and I looked around for someone to do our horse's feet and looked specifically for someone who is educated in a quote-unquote barefoot trim that has some slight differences from what some people call a, a traditional pasture trim. And I couldn't find anybody. I finally found someone and, and he did a nice job for a short while, but he was really kind of doing it between careers and so then I found someone else and he came out and he did the horses and they all ended up lame and I don't mean just oh they were a little tender I mean Porter would not put weight on his right front foot for three weeks Wow! and this was a horse who Porter had probably had shoes on his feet a total of two years of his life and even though he's a thoroughbred he has really his pretty healthy feet I mean he has some issues he's like high low and whatever but you know he does okay he has nice thick walls and and well-developed digital, digital cushions. Cushion and, he's got yes. a nice digital cushion and he's got, um, you know, he's got concavity. And so he's... Are you sure he's a thoroughbred? <laughs> oh, abs I have his papers. I, 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 his, mother, his mother was my first horse. And so I have his papers and yes, I'm sure he's a thoroughbred. And, and, I, and I think it's... So it exists, a thoroughbred with good feet. Yes. I think I think I think it, it's a it, possibility. It, absolutely, and I but you know I think it raises the point of the lifestyle the lifestyle that most thoroughbreds live does mm -hmm. not promote good foot development. And we can talk about that more later. But anyway, so I got here. I got the horses trimmed. They were all crippled. I, I mean, literally, like nobody wanted to move for days. It was horrible. Do you have? And I don't. I don't want to pick on anybody's work. But what do you have a sense of what he did that created that such a dramatic change? Yeah, it was it was sort of one of those schools that that does a lot more cutting the foot to look a certain way. Okay. Anyway, it just was it, I was devastated. Um, none of the horses would pick up their feet for me for four months. Wow. Uh, I, I literally had to retrain, especially Scout, because you know Scout. She's Scout Dominique is my great big Percheron cross mare, and she doesn't suffer fools lightly. And she she's not super reactive and flighty, but Scout doesn't do anything Scout doesn't want to do. <laughs> okay. So um, so she. But when you explain it well. She's wonderfully cooperative, beautifully light, a super teacher. Yeah. Just a superstar teacher. Yeah. 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 She's she's so like the po poster nicely, girl. Right. Ask nicely and she'll give you the moon. And reinforce mm -hmm. her. Yes. Right. Yes. Ask nicely, do it with positive reinforcement, and she is quite happy. Yes. But because of that experience, she was 
pretty reluctant to let you have her feet. But we, you know, we worked through it and she's much better. But so I, I was just, I was frantic. I didn't know what to do. Like I was, I just was afraid to have anybody else touch my horse's feet. I bet. And so I reached out, I found an online course, which was the only thing I could find at the time. And then Sue Bennett kept telling me, you need to learn from Ida, you need to learn from Ida. So she showed me, I was like, oh, she's so far away. This is really going to be difficult. And I finally, so I was trying to trim them myself. It was, you know, nothing particularly special, but I was just rasping their feet a little here and there. And then I contacted Ida Hammer. Her business is called Whole Horse Hoof Care. And uh, she's based in Illinois, but she travels all over the United States now teaching. And she's a peer of Pete Ramey. And they, you know, kind of share ideas and thoughts. And um, she agreed to come out here and teach uh, some workshops at my place. And I had gone to a Pete Ramey workshop about a year before that. He actually, someone else in this area brought him out here. And his workshops are great, and he's kind of an icon of the barefoot world. But the way he runs his workshops is is you he assesses a horse. He, he does a morning lecture about nutrition, which is a very good thing. And then he people bring out case study horses. He assesses the horse, and he trims them. He puts on shoes if they need shoes. He puts on boots if they need boots. He... Um, basically explains to the owner how they need to follow up and continue on and everybody gets to watch which is great but that's different than how do you hold a hoof knife how do you put the horse's foot between your legs right yes what 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 do you do with all that that stuff that's shedding off the frog do you leave it alone do you not what uh, you know how much is too much and and, and you know, I've I've watched I've watched because I've always held my horses for the farrier. I've watched my horses being done how many bazillions of times. But when I actually picked up the file and said, Okay, I'm doing it, it doesn't matter how many times you've watched. It's a completely different kettle of fish when it you're is. actually underneath the horse and you're going to be the one filing the, the foot. Yes, yeah. it's it's just it it's very very different. And Ida came out, and she's she's incredibly knowledgeable, and she's like us. She ended up doing this because she and she'll tell you in her in her presentations that she got a horse that was beautiful and navicular and sore, and they did everything they were told. They did isoxaprene, and they did the shoes, and they did the this and the that, and nothing worked. And she went looking for options because they weren't going to give up on that horse. And so she traveled all over the country to learn from people and eventually ended up, you know, educating herself and starting to trim her own horses and trim other people's horses and and then started teaching. And she is incredibly knowledgeable. She is a she is passionate about this topic and she's an outstanding teacher which is a rare combination there are some people that are really good at things and they can't teach that well there are some people that are outstanding teachers that maybe are not that 
actual, they're not going to be the one to create the Mona Lisa, but they can, you know, help teach you how to use paints and brushes and, and about canvas and light or whatever. And she is this amazing combination. She's, she's all about the good of the horse. She's also very, one of, and this is one of the reasons I think that she's really resonated for me. She's also very kind and caring to the people, which you don't find always amongst people that are, you know, where they're the advocates for the horse. And, and then that means that they are condescending or insulting to the human that happens to be holding the lead rope and paying the bills for that horse. Yes. So um, Ida's a lovely combination of that. And uh, so she came out and when she teaches the trimming workshops, you work on cadaver feet. She's very, very methodical about it. She has preserved specimens of other cadaver feet. So you get to see the bones and you get to see, you know, you look at, and they're cut in different ways. So you can, she has certain lessons to teach you. She has five different coffin bones and and six different navicular bones. And you, you know, she passes them around and you hold them and you look at them. And you think about all those x-rays we've seen, you know, like here's the navicular bone, but you're looking at the navicular bone in three dimensions. And it just made a huge difference for me to look at those things and see them together. And then to have her take you through, here's the two, I mean, literally it's, here is how to hold this tool. Here is how you're going to move it. And she goes around and, you know, oh, you've got the knife a little bit wrong. I want you to do it like this. Safe, you would love her, Alex. Safety is first. Nobody can use the, even though you're doing a cadaver foot, nobody can use the tools unless they've got gloves on and shaps. And this is how you're going to use the tool and so on. So it's very thorough. Um, you, I, I think a lot of people can come away from her beginner class able to do at least maintenance on their horse between, you know, if say they're on a six week trim cycle or eight week trim cycle, which is a bit of a stretch, but if that's what their farrier does or their hoof care person does, they can touch up their horse's feet in between after completing, yeah, you know, if the is horse is pathological. Because it's a great way to start because that way you've got, you've got the farrier who you trust watching watching out for you and your horse and and you're not having to make big changes because you're coming in a few days after the farrier and you're just keeping those flares from starting up again you're just maintaining what you're maintaining the good balance that your good farrier has put on your horse's feet you're not trying to take a foot that is gotten really out of balance and really needs a a skilled professional to that's to, a good idea yeah yeah it's it would terrorize me <laughs> to, oh. to do something wrong other than you know so it's a good place to start because i don't know for me trimming my own horse i would be you know so how afraid I to do it wrong i mean we've we've been i think in the in the horse world it's an odd sort of thing because we're when you start out, you're taught to groom the horse. Here's a brush. This is what you do with it. But we're absolutely taught, don't touch the feet. You can clean them, but the the trimming 
is for the professional. Well, it's because you can do harm. Well, yeah, you can do harm, but you can do harm in lots of ways. You can do harm getting on a horse's back, after all. But oh, we, that's we're for allowed sure. to do that. <laughs> that's but, for you sure. Know, if we yeah. were, if we had grown up the way that, well, on ranches, many people grow up there, they trim their own horse's feet. That would be totally the norm that you don't, you're, you're not bringing somebody in. But it's not how most of us. Yeah, and when you hear Paige Poss say, you know, the importance of understanding what's going on inside before you start playing around with the outside, I think, you know, that's something that requires... Um, but if we had grown up with a, and been taught how to, how to use farrier tools in the same way that we were taught how to use a brush and a curry and so on. I think a lot of our horses could be maintained in a very comfortable way, hmm. barefoot, uh, particularly if all we're doing is doing the, the touch-up between the farrier visits. Yeah, and if you have a horse... That sounds good, more feasible yeah. and <laughs> to me. So because, because I found it, because that wasn't how I was taught in the horse world... I very much was influenced by the culture of this is the horse, you're allowed to own it. <laughs> you know, you groom it, you ride it, but the farrier does the feet. That mm -hmm. was the culture that I lived in. And so this idea of, oh, I'm going to trim my own horse was initially really intimidating. So I got yeah. a sanding block because you oh. can't do very much with sandpaper. Okay. So I used a sanding block on my horses until I got comfortable and confident with I wasn't going to cripple them if I did a little, <laughs> you know, rasp across the feet. You uh, know, I, I'm that, actually surprised of how many of you guys are, are doing it yourselves. I mean, it's I thought it used to be just a few, but it, it seems everybody's trimming their own horse around me. It's, it's really, and I'm, I came late to it. Honestly, the first time I, and because I came from that same background, Alex, and, and I can appreciate why there is that attitude of, you know, don't touch the feet. I'm, I've, I've had vets say, oh, no, we're not going to make any recommendations. Just take these x-rays to the farrier, literally. Like, ooh, they don't, it's like everything stops it at doing anything other than, you know, I don't know, nerving or navicular injections or something let's face it if you're building a horseshoe from bar stock or you're nailing on a horseshoe and you're nailing into the hoof wall i think i want to better know what you're doing yes, I, I want absolutely i want a trained farrier who's who I, that's when you want the certified um farrier mm -hmm. right and um, right but if it's just a matter of well, also, if you have, and again, that may be discussable. Is that a word in English? Yes. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if you have, you know, orthopedic issues where you need the corrective shoes, whatever they're made of, that's also somewhere, I assume, where even the professionals don't agree sometimes on, you know, what should be. The, what would be the correct shoe for this orthopedic or, problem? Or maybe the best thing for that horse is no shoe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a different or yeah. a different a different kind of protection than a steel shoe. Yeah. 
that is nailed on because one of the things with pathology that I have learned from Ida is that um, for many of the pathologies, the most important thing is to be able to um, keep the foot consistent. So that going in and, and if, if so say the horse doesn't land, you know, the horse, like what horse is perfect? right uh, show me a six-year-old horse that say was even if it wasn't started under saddle till it was four but it was being schooled for um for some kind of you know competition it, whether you're you're looking at a horse that was brought in for the snaffle bit futurity in the western world whether you're looking at a horse that was put through the stallion testing as a three-year-old for the warm blood registries, whether you're looking at just a horse that the people, you know, the, the, the thoroughbreds that are basically started under saddle at about 18 months of age for the racetrack because they're racing when in their quote two-year-old year and they all turn two on January 1st, even if they were foaled in May. So you're looking at these horses that were started very young and had some pretty strong work early on. Show me one of those at age seven or eight or heaven forbid at age 10 that doesn't have some kind of pathology. Mm -hmm. So, but keeping the horse out of nailed on steel shoes gives you the opportunity to make little tweaks and adjustments. Oh, look, there's like this Feldenkrais theme, little tiny tweaks, little movements instead of something really dramatic. And mm -hmm boots the same way you can put boots on the horse has protection but you can pull them off and once a week you can look and go oh yes i see how the horse lands heavier on the medial or the inside wall of the feet and so that wears down faster than the outside so we'll just do a couple of swipes with the rasp and balance it back out and put the boots back on and we can do that once a week and so it gives you a great deal more flexibility. What we're starting to find is that some of the, just like clicker training and all the solutions that we find in our clicker training, some of the best solutions to some of the pathologies end up being almost counterintuitive or the opposite of what is recommended in the traditional world. So you have a navicular horse, they jack up its heel mm -hmm. or heaven forbid, they go start cutting soft tissues and things. And it doesn't help. And I'm not going to go, I mean, I'm going to spare you going into w what the sort of the whole horse hoof care perspective is on the development of navicular, but jacking the hoof up doesn't help the situation. There's other ways to protect the foot and help the horse begin to build a stronger heel and alleviate that discomfort. And a combination of boots and pads and careful trimming has yielded some pretty significant results for people. So, so definitely, I agree that, you know, if, I mean, if a horse needs massive therapeutic boot or, or shoe, I'm not your person. And it, it's something that sh certainly should be discussed with your veterinarian because, you know, there, those, those are complicated pathologies and, you know, but it's interesting to know there are options. 
Well, and there are, and what's fascinating is there's a lot of people that, because I've completed all of Ida's classes, I'm technically a graduate of her program. I received a certificate. I don't trim professionally, but she has a small army of amazing people who are going out there and making a huge difference for a lot of horses. And we have our own private Facebook group, and they share quite generously photographs and radiographs x-rays of horses that they're working on and helping and it is that the link you sent me no um oh. no but uh <laughs> anyway uh i think there's some of that is covered in that but um mm -hmm. but anyway they they do some amazing things and so they'll take you know somebody will get a horse that horse is sore the horse gets x-rayed vet says oh no he has side bone there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, no, now I can't ride him anymore. Well, we've got ways to support and help horses, depending on how progressive, how progressed the side bone is, that the horse can continue to do some things comfortably. You don't have to condemn the horse necessarily. Well, that goes back to Alex's introduction, where you were saying that it's out of a necessity that you studied some of these alternative ways because nothing else had worked. Right, right. It's I'm not ready to give up on that horse. And, you know, I was hearing, I mean, at first I definitely went in skeptical and I was hearing, oh yeah, they can do all these amazing things and blah, 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 blah. And I went in, well, let's see. Let's see what is available. Let's see what I can learn. Mm -hmm. and, and if nothing else, when I promote so I still host workshops at my house when, when Ida comes out this way to teach. And it's mm -hmm. great because we've now got people all the way in Oklahoma, in Missouri, in Kansas, which are kind of the adjoining states to where I live, starting to come and learn and, and educate themselves. And I tell people, even if you don't want to trim your own horses, mm -hmm. and of course, if you don't want to trim professionally, at least do she has several classes that are focused on that are like a, a powerpoint presentation and and letting you see these hands-on specimens and touch things and so on and she teaches these classes and also the beginner trim class where she has you actually work on a cadaver foot and hold the tools and do things mm -hmm. and look at the foot and and think about you know now looking at this foot what should we do if, if you only do that so that you become a truly informed consumer mm. yep. of hoof care services, then, yep, yep, yep. then yes. if your farrier is not doing what should, you know, if, if he's doing what he does and you take a look at your horse's foot and you see that it is not what Paige Poss calls an anatomically correct trim or what Miriam would call an anatomically correct trim where the hoof capsule clearly is following the shape of the coffin bone and the foot is balanced and is balanced under the bony column and balanced from side to side then at least you know and you're not merrily going about your business thinking oh well I have this great farrier and blah 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 and 
and then, but meanwhile, your horse's heels are running forward and his toes are getting really long. And, and, and you don't have a clue. And you don't have a clue. And yeah. you, your sense, well, you talked early when we were joking about, um, about an, our animals and about how you don't train your eye for happy faces with uh, a donkey. Train it really well with a horse because their ears are small, but with a donkey or a mule, it's so obvious when that ear moves that your eye isn't getting quite as refined. But it's the same thing with looking at feet, right? Our sense of what is, quote, correct yeah. can be very, very skewed because if all we're looking at is pathological feet that's and we're right. told that's normal, right? This is this is a thoroughbred foot. This is what yeah. If we're even have. looking at it, right. because for a lot of owners, they just delegate to the farrier, yeah. and they don't even really say why. But I see his foot goes down, and then the, and it sort of flares out at the side. Well, you know why is that? Oh, well, that's just how he grows his foot. Yeah. Really. And this is really what drives. You know, we. I think it was both Paige and Miriam were talking about the farriers are becoming more educated. They're, mm. they're going on to continuing education. Well, part of the reason that they are, I mean, part of it is that they also love to learn. But for some of them, they're out there taking courses because they, I'll put it bluntly, they can't get away with the feet that 10 years ago were really common. These, these, the feet with the duck bills and so on, because now all of a sudden the owners have become educated and they're questioning and they're looking at their horse's foot and there's this clear duck bill going up where the you can see the flare and they're saying, what, what's going on here? And, and they're saying it in nice ways, not in judgmental ways, but it all drives towards excellence. The more educated we become, the more our farriers have to have to stay caught up and educate themselves and the the people who who don't have the eye the skill the whatever it is it takes to see that anatomically correct foot for that horse when you've done the work to educate yourself you no longer pick that person to be your farrier. So it looks to me like we can't get enough of hoof care discussion. We were going to do a podcast well, on we nutrition. Can do nutrition. <laughs> so we should shift to nutrition. But it's in a sense it's the same question because again Cindy when we were last together the conversation was centered so much around Cushing's. And that's another huge area where that same driver of your horse owner you've been given this diagnosis your horse is becoming laminitic it feels as though maybe the only thing that's the only option is to put your horse down and then suddenly you discover or it this on a dry huge, lot for the rest of his life yeah that there's this incredible community out there that is an information rich resource for people and that again you're so good at helping people who are just beginning that journey of I've got a horse with uh, Cushing's diagnosis and so on and and I thought it would definitely be something that would be worth exploring a little bit so let's start 
Actually, let's not. Clearly, we're about to change topics, so this is a great place to interrupt the conversation. And I'm sure for all the many thousands of people who have horses with Cushing's, you're probably thinking right now, you're not really going to make me wait a whole week for this discussion. But I am, and I will tell you, it's well worth the wait. I will also tell you that this won't be the only interruption to our conversation. In total, we talked with Cindy for over three hours, and we could have kept going except we all had animals waiting for us. In the next podcast, we'll focus on Cushing's and insulin-resistant horses. Then we'll take a break before heading into a more general discussion of nutrition and the managing of multiple horses. Cindy is a phenomenal source of information, as you've seen already from this podcast. So I'll just add another couple quick announcements. I give two clinics at Cindy's place. She's near Fayetteville, Arkansas. We have a spring clinic, May 24 through 27, and a fall clinic, October 23 through 26 in 2020. You can go to my website, theclickercenter.com, to check out the details and get Cindy's contact information. As I'm sure you can imagine from this podcast, Cindy is a wonderful host, and the clinics are jam-packed with great information. So do look at your calendars, and I hope you can join us at one of these events. They are well worth it. And while you're visiting my website, you can order your copy of the new revised edition of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures. And while you're waiting for next week's episode of this podcast to be published, do check out my other podcast. That's Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate crisis. In the Horses for Future podcasts, we explore how. You'll find my podcast through my website, theclickercenter.com, or visit my other website, sequestercarbon.com. And there you'll find lots of resources for how we, as horse people, can make a difference in the climate crisis. So that's all the announcements for now. Until next week, have fun with your training.